Awesome. When I was a kid, one of my favorite TV shows was a show that I think ran for only one or two seasons in the 1980s. And most of you may not remember it, but I, I loved it. Um, it'd be interesting to see if anyone has recognizes this TV show. It was a show called Voyagers. I think I have a picture for you up here on the screen. Anyone watch that show? I know I'm a little weird, but I loved this show. Um, it was a time-traveling show. The, uh, the two main characters were Phineas Bogg on the left and Jeffrey Jones on the right. And like I said, they were time travelers, and why they traveled back in time was that they were entrusted with making sure that history would play out the way it was supposed to and not get sidetracked by some you know, weird thing that happened or came up. Um, the way that they traveled through time was they had this uh, sort of... Uh, big pocket watch called an Omni that allowed them to travel through time. So this is a very realistic um, show, no doubt. Um, And if the Omni was red, that meant that they still had work to do to make sure that history got on the right track. And once the the Omni turned green, well, then everything was good and all was A-OK. I think thinking back on it, the reason why this show stuck in my brain and why I've watched it on Amazon Prime once or twice, uh, I'm man enough to admit, um, is because it kind of opened up for me a little bit of a love of history. I remember as a kid thinking about these people that I read about in books, but now through the means of TV kind of came to life a little bit, and I thought about how it would be to live in a different era and to meet people like Abraham Lincoln or Benjamin Franklin or Billy the Kid or even one show had Babe Ruth or obviously a depiction of Babe Ruth in it. Now, with that kind of love in mind— I've often envied Jesus' 12 disciples. I mean, think about how cool it would have been to live at the time of Jesus and to actually be one of Jesus' 12 disciples. Like, they would know whether Jesus had a sense of humor or not. Did he crack jokes or was he serious most of the time? I don't know, but they would have. They would have known that While he never sinned, did he gravitate towards being a morning person or an evening person, you know? All of these things that just would have been so cool to hang out and to be Jesus on earth friend. Um, To be able to experience the miracle of the calming of the Sea of Galilee, where like they're all in the boat and there's this storm that's going to basically shipwreck them. And all of a sudden, Jesus shouts, knock it off! And it's like someone turned a faucet off and all the rain stopped and the wind stopped blowing. Just a, amazing. Or how about, anyone remember this one where there was a, a boy that had demon possession and uh, Jesus cast the demons out and where did he cast them into? Into like a herd of pigs. And after the demons got into the pigs, the pigs started sprinting. Uh, can prig, pigs sprint? they ran really fast into the lake and they all drowned themselves. I mean, that would have been amazing to see. Or or how about about when a mom whose son is going to die, Jesus comes and heals him of his disease and gives him a clean bill of health. To be there, 
to see the blind, to be able to see for the first time, and for the, the paralyzed to jump up and run around and to see people's expressions and the tears in their loved one's eyes, no doubt, would have been amazing. Or how about listening to Jesus as he unpacked and explained complicated truths about God that any normal person would not be able to preach or to understand or the, the thousands of people who would gather to listen as Jesus preached and as he taught about love and forgiveness and about heaven. If ever we find a big pocket watch that doubles as a time-traveling omni and you can't find me, you'll know where I am. I'm with Jesus, watching him, being with him. And I'm sure, although the disciples maybe didn't quite compute how special of a time they were living in, there's no doubt that they would have rather Jesus stay with them. They would have rather have had more than three years of ministry with him. And yet, at the time of our text for today, Jesus is near the end of his earthly life. In fact, the very next day, he's going to die. And things are, are going to change. In fact, our section in John 16 is in the very same context of some verses that many of you know very well. Here's some words from Jesus in the two chapters before that. Jesus is telling his disciples, guys, don't let your hearts be troubled. Why would their hearts be troubled? Well, because someone that they really love being around is hinting that he's going away. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. He's talking about heaven there. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And we know that the disciples didn't quite understand all the details of what this meant, but what they did know is that things would be changing. What they did know is that an era was coming to a close. What they did know is that their day-to-day -day relationship with Jesus in one way or another would be changing. And so in the context of our verses for today, what Jesus does is he's a, he acknowledges the difficulty of this moment for them, but he also tells them about something that can ease their sorrow just a little bit. And I, today I want to open your minds and hearts to what that is by looking on to John chapter 16. It goes this way. Just two chapters later, Jesus tells the disciples, you're filled with grief because I have said these things about going away, even about dying. But very truly I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. And I'm going to pause right there because in real time, if I were one of the 12 disciples, I would have like been thinking, what are you talking about, Jesus? There cannot be any good that would come out of this, of you leaving us. Why don't you just stay? That would be so much better. Why don't we just spend some more time hanging out with each other? Now, do you have any idea where Jesus might be going with this? I think some of you might have an idea. 
And maybe what you're thinking is, I know what comes next. Jesus is going to tell the disciples that it's good that he goes away, because if he doesn't go away, well, then he can't die for our sins, and he can't rise again, and Sins can't be paid for and heaven can't be purchased. That's why it's good for him to go away. And if that's what you're thinking comes next, I would tell you that that, those are absolutely good thoughts and they're all true. But it's not where Jesus is going here. There is a different reason why Jesus points out that it's good that he goes away. Well, let's look at it. It is for your good that I'm going away. Why? Because unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, then I will send him to you. So I'm going to go away because I'm going to send you an advocate. (laughs) Advocate, another word for that would be um, a comforter, an encourager, a close companion. This is a word that's a direct reference to the subject of the third article, which we're unpacking today, the third article of the Apostles' Creed. It's a word for the Holy Spirit. And what Jesus is saying in context is that it's good that I go away because when I do, I'm going to send you something even better than me being with you physically. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And in an immediate context— What Jesus is referring to here is a day that some of you maybe uh, have heard about. It's the day called Pentecost. It's a day 50 days after Easter, back in the first century, when the Holy Spirit showed up in a really special way so that there were the ability for the disciples to speak in different languages without ever taking Spanish one or two, okay? And also where 3,000 people came to faith on the very same day. And while that's the immediate context of what Jesus is referring to, let me tell you, this verse also reminds us who lived 2,000 years after Pentecost about the importance and the blessing that we have as God gives us the Holy Spirit. And so today, as we begin one of two weeks on the third article, I'd like to start with this from Jesus himself. It's our first fill-in. That Jesus wants us to treasure the Holy Spirit. He wants us to recognize the work of the Holy Spirit and to treasure his presence in our lives. And I think this is a very important message for us, especially, again, maybe if you're a regular church attender, like we often think of God the Father and his power. And as we look into uh, the stars, we think of his creation. Um, We think of the sun a lot. The cross is a symbol of Jesus Christ and what his work. But so often, it's easy for us to forget about the Holy Spirit. And yet Jesus, our Savior, God's Son, wants us to treasure the Holy Spirit. And maybe the question that'd be good for us to continue with is, why? Other than that, he's God. I mean, why should we treasure him so much? Why would it be good for the disciples that Jesus leaves and the Holy Spirit shows up? Well, there's a lot of 
teachings and a lot of things in the New Testament about the Holy Spirit. And depending on your backgrounds with church, I think of the three areas of the Trinity, it's probably the work of the Holy Spirit that has maybe the most varied focus, depending on what church you go to or if you went to church. For instance, in the New Testament, we know that the Holy Spirit allowed and empowered the leaders of that first church and even some of just the the regular Christians of the first church the ability to speak in tongues, speak in other languages, to perform miracles of healing. And still today, God the Holy Spirit has the power to work those types of gifts into God's people. But maybe the question you might have is, well then, why don't we, at least at Bethlehem, focus on that at all? Why do we, don't, why don't we focus on speaking in tongues if the Holy Spirit can do it? Why don't we focus on acts of healing if the Holy Spirit can do that and did that in the first century? I, there's two reasons. The first is that it would seem from history that the Holy Spirit tend to emphasize those gifts in the first century as the Christian movement was just beginning, as through those miracles, it gave authority to the message that people were sharing about Jesus Christ. The second thing I would say is that even though the Holy Spirit can do those things, the reason why we don't emphasize them or focus on them here is because they were never intended to be the main work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was and is about something else primarily. These other gifts were supplemental to the main work. So what was the main work? I'm glad you asked that question. You always ask such good questions because Jesus actually answers that question. It's in our same section. He's just told them the advocate is coming and he says this. When he comes, when the Spirit comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and he'll prove worldly thinking to be wrong about how to get righteousness and the Holy Spirit will prove people to be wrong about judgment. Let's go on to verse 9. Because about sin, people don't believe in me. About righteousness, he'll convince them because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Let's go back to, to verse 8. You know, Jesus has just referenced that He's going to send the Holy Spirit in a special way on Pentecost. And for those of you, again, who know a little bit about Pentecost, you would think that Jesus would continue with, I'm going to send the Spirit because, and when he comes, he's going to put these like flames on people's head, which is going to be so cool. And people are going to be able to speak in other languages. And lots of people are going to come to, you'd think he would have emphasized this, this outpouring of these outward gifts. But Jesus doesn't reference that at all. Instead, he focuses on something else that would happen on Pentecost through the Holy Spirit, that he will prove the world to be wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. So what does he mean by that? Well, let's talk about 
the way we think about sin, just people in general, sin or wrongdoings, whatever word you want to use, how we think about it in general and what we do with things that we know aren't right in our life. I really think there's two ways, and I see this in people and in myself, two ways that people handle the fact that they're not perfect by nature. By nature, one is a great feeling and burden of guilt. And these are the people, and and some of you in this room might be one of those people, that live your life always feeling down like there's this big weight on your shoulders that you're not good enough and you can't add up and you're not the person that you'd like to be and it's just this, this guilt. The other way that people tend to by nature handle the fact that we're not perfect and we mess up is we just, we get angry. And we don't want people to point out that we have things to change. And it's not my fault. It's everyone else's fault. And, you know, like some of us in this room, we handle sin and judgment. That who are you to judge me? You know, that type of thinking. And we all tend to lean in one way or another. But where there's unity in guilt or in anger is that what we all try to do is to avoid it to get rid of it, to pretend like it's not there. By nature, we would rather just avoid it. You know what we like to do with sin and our inability to be perfect by nature? Let me give you an example, because you do this at home when guests come over. What we like to do with our sin is, do you ever do this when people come over, that you take all of the stuff that's out, all the clutter, and you just like put it in a closet, right? Or in a junk drawer, or maybe under the bed, or, you know, some of you, the kids have moved out. So you have an entire room that's just junk, and what you do, or mess, or whatever, and what you do when people come over is you just, you just close the door, and you just tell, don't go in there, right? Don't go in there. That's where the mess is. We, we like to give the impression that we've got it all together. And, and honestly, there's nothing really wrong with that when it comes to the house or comes to your home or comes to when guests come over. But the challenge is when we do that with sin. And instead of addressing it head on, we just avoid it or we don't tend to or we don't understand the consequences of it or we get angry at people who might in love point out some things, right? Or we feel guilty. The the Holy Spirit, you know what he does? He comes into the heart, your heart, into the, the your heart home. He's like, huh, this looks pretty nice. What's over there in the closet? It looks like it's about to pop open. And why is that door always closed? What's back there? And what grudge or what attitude or what addiction have you balled up and thrown under the bed trying to just ignore it or pretend like it's not that big of a deal? And the Holy Spirit, the advocate, comes and he proves the world to be in the wrong about sin, that you can't just avoid it. You have to address it. And the worst thing we can do is just pretend like it's not there and, oh yes, all is good. And the best way that I could 
explain why that's so important is our second fill-in for today. Because there's no need for a cleaning if there's no acknowledgement of a mess. There is no real need, perceived need, of a cleaning if there is no acknowledgement that there's a mess. And so the Holy Spirit puts in us an acknowledgement of a mess, and then he points us in our hearts through the word to the one who has cleaned it up. You know, I, I mentioned before that a lot of times the Holy Spirit is the part of the Trinity that tends to get the least fanfare. I'll be honest, I, I don't know if that bothers the Holy Spirit so much. I mean, he hasn't told me one way or the other, but uh, I think honestly, if we think less of him, and instead our, our hearts are more on Christ, the Holy Spirit is doing his job. The, the Holy Spirit can do amazing things and allow uh, there to be these outward signs of just whether it be tongue speaking or healing and all these things. But you know what his main work is? It's our third fill-in. The main work of the Holy Spirit is to shine a light on Jesus. To prove the world right or wrong, I should say, about sin. That it is a big deal. To prove the world wrong about righteousness. That is, we can't gain righteousness or holiness on our own. It has to come from someone else. It has to be given to us as a gift. Holiness for sinful people like me can only be given to us as a gift from God through the work of Jesus Christ to prove the world wrong about judgment because it's not something we need to fear or to be angry about, but instead judgment is something we can look forward to because we know what Christ has done for us. And when the Holy Spirit is doing his work right and when we are recognizing his main work, we recognize that it is to shine a light on Jesus, to shine a light on Jesus. So, what about application today? Here, here's what the Holy Spirit has done in many of our hearts and lives and maybe is working right now in some of you. But what about moving forward? Is there any work of the Holy Spirit as we think about uh, the future? Um, it's interesting that Paul tells us that at one time we were so lost that, in fact, 1 Corinthians 12 says this, that we can't even come to faith or say that Jesus is Lord except by and with the work of the Holy Spirit. So here's where I'm going with this. If you are someone who has put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're someone who has only done that by the work of the Holy Spirit. And in fact, not only has the Holy Spirit worked in you, this is pretty cool, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says this, Don't you know that you, you who have faith, you yourselves are God's temple, and that God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, lives in you? 
It's an amazing power that you have, not of yourself, but I want you to take away today that you have an amazing power that lives in you. And he's already shown that power in the fact that if you call yourself a child of God, he's worked his power. But he has power that can continue to work in you and to change us and to bring us more in line with God's truth in our lives. I know that there is something in every single one of us, morally or otherwise, that we'd like to have better. We'd like to change. Whether it's as a husband or a wife, a dad or a mom, a student, a worker, an employee, a boss, whatever. There's, all of us have something that we know we're not where we need to be. And let me tell you, I love li- listening to podcasts and I'm going to continue to listen to podcasts and, you know, helpful little teachings. But I'll tell you that the best 10-step program, the best three keys to this, if it's only purely our power and our wanting to make a change and we're white-knuckling it through life because it's up to me and I better make a change, those almost always eventually fail. And I'm not against the 10 steps and the three goals and all that stuff, but we need to think of them, dear Christians, in their rightful place. Because true change does not happen because we've changed. It happens because of God, the Holy Spirit, who works in us. Maybe some of you remember um, Paul talking uh, in Galatians 5 about the fruits of the Spirit. That as we become Christians, and the Holy Spirit lives in us. There's like this fruit that appears. Peace, love, hope, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control, right? If you would think about whatever it is that you'd like different in your life, and then look at the fruits of the Spirit in chapter 5, I'm guessing one of those gets at the heart of what you need to change. What Paul is saying is, these things are possible Because the Holy Spirit lives in you. Does that mean we'll never mess up again? Nope. Does that mean that we're not going to struggle anymore as a Christian because the Holy Spirit lives in me? Nope. I wish. It just means that as a Christian, we have a power inside of us that we so often forget about, and instead, we just lean on our own power or the power of the people around us. But when Paul speaks of the life of a Christian— I love this verse. It comes right after the fruits of the Spirit section. Paul says this, Since we live by the Spirit, that's what happened to Judah today. He now lives by the Spirit because he's been given faith. All who have faith have been given life by the Spirit. Since we live by the Spirit, now let us, we got something to do, let us keep in step with the Spirit. You know what this makes me think of? dancing. It's like a dance with the Holy Spirit. Have you ever tried dancing before? Yeah, that was like the best I can do right there. In fact, over the years, Carrie and I have done dance lessons here and there, and um, I will tell you this. She's a great dancer, and I am not. (laughs) And she likes dance lessons because of the dancing. And I like dance lessons because I get to hold her hand for an hour. You know, that's, uh, that's what I like. And so as we've done this at times, um, 
we haven't done so well. Um, we're not ready for dancing with the stars. And let me tell you, it has nothing to do with her. So you know, if you've danced with a partner before, who leads? The guy or the gal? The guy leads. That's our downfall right there. So the Achilles heel leads. And when dancing's done right, here's what the gal does. She just kind of follows the guy. And he leads her, and then she's, she doesn't need to worry about anything else. Just follow the lead. Be in step with Ben, right? That doesn't work very well for us. You know what this is saying? Fill in number four. Life's a dance. We need to keep in step with the Spirit. And there, there's three parts of this. There's three A's that I want you to think of. The first is, as you are in step with the Spirit, is to acknowledge. Maybe that's all you need to do today. Because you've been trying to white-knuckle it through life, holding on, trying to do it yourself. What if today, the only thing maybe that God is prompting you to do is just to acknowledge, I can't on my own. I can't do it. I've tried for 20 years. I just can't do it. But he who lives in me can. And so the number two A is then to ask him. Listen to your podcasts. I do. But you better couple that and make the center of it be an ask, a daily ask, Holy Spirit, you give these fruits. I need fill in the blank. Ask him. And then act. You need to learn the dance of the Holy Spirit. Does he waltz or foxtrot or salsa? Holy Spirit, I don't think is a salsa dancer, I don't think. But what's his dance like? How are you going to know that? How are you going to know his dance steps? You got to be in the word. As we get in the word, the Holy Spirit works in us and works through it. And we're learning to dance with the Holy Spirit. Acknowledge, act. Acknowledge, ask, act. It's pretty amazing. When Jesus met with the 12 disciples right before he would die, I would never have thought that he would say, hey guys, it's better for me to go. But that's exactly what he said. Because the Holy Spirit is that powerful, that amazing that advocate, that counselor, lives in us, has changed us, and has the power to change us more. Pray all. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our lives. And Lord, uh, sometimes it's easy for us to forget um, how much we need help, not just with our forgiveness, first and foremost, but also even just with our daily life to, to be who we can't be on our own. Help us, dear Lord, to acknowledge, to ask, and to act. And through that, Lord, may we better understand your dance step and keep in step with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.